Well, good evening, everyone. It is a joy to be here, and uh, I want to put your mind at ease about all the people who just left. I pastor for 16 years, and I'm used to people leaving when I get up to preach, so it doesn't bother me a bit. Um, I am honored to be here. Uh, I met Brother Henry, I don't know, a good while back now, and uh, was thrilled when he invited me to be part of your missions conference this year, and it's a joy to be here. The service has already been wonderful. The music is great, the orchestra, the special music, everything has just been wonderful, and I'm delighted to be here. I will have a chance to present our ministry on Friday night, as Pastor said, but I want to just give you a quick testimony, kind of as an introduction. I pastored in Mansfield, Ohio for 16 years, and when, when I knew God wanted me to pastor, I told God, I'll go anywhere you want. I was a young man, I said, I'll go anywhere you want, Lord, but wherever you put me, please leave me there for 30 years. I really desired in my heart a long-term pastorate, and I'm still a very young man, and I see you folks need to learn when it's right to say amen right there. (laughs) But I told God, I'll go anywhere you want, but wherever you put me, would you leave me there for 30 years? And so after 16 years, God started turning my heart in a different direction. I, uh, I I began to get a burden for unreached people groups and specifically Bibleless people groups. And so we now direct a ministry that's focused entirely on Bible translation. Um, But I I was going through this grieving process of of beginning to understand or beginning to sense the leadership of the Lord away from the pastorate. And I didn't want to leave the pastorate. That's who I was. I'm I'm a pastor. This is my my life's calling. And I went to my wife during that process and I said, I think God is leading us away from this church and leading us into missions. And she had two responses. First, she said, <coughs> she said, if that's what God wants, that's what we need to do. And that's a good spiritual response, isn't it? And then she said, I just need to know that this is the leadership of God. This is the call of God and not just a burden in your heart. Is God really leading us to leave this church and change the whole direction of our lives? And then she actually said these words. She said, if this is a midlife crisis, just go buy a motorcycle. There's no way we could afford a red sports car, so she said motorcycle. And then that made it really hard because I wanted a motorcycle real bad. But I guess part of it came down to I didn't want to be out of God's will on a motorcycle. (laughs) That would be really dangerous, wouldn't it? Um, But here we are, uh, 2006, I resigned my church, and we started Worldview Ministries. And I'll tell you more about that on Friday night, but God's just been so good to us, allowing us to be part of getting the Word of God to people who still need scripture in their own heart language. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, the mission of God, the mission of God. And I'll tell you where we're going to turn in the Bible in just a moment. But I'd like to start here with a word of prayer, if I may. Lord Jesus, thank you for the power of your word. And as we look through the scripture tonight, I pray that as we open the Bible, that you will open the Bible to us. I pray for clarity of thought, I pray for the Spirit's fullness for both preacher and listener, and I pray that you'll have your way not only tonight, but throughout this missions conference, that you would speak to our hearts and draw us into the work you're doing in this world. I pray for your help now in Jesus' name, amen. I believe a proper view of missions begins with a proper view of God. A.W. Tozer said, we commonly misrepresent God as a busy, eager, frustrated father hurrying about, 
seeking help to carry out his benevolent plan to bring salvation to the world. Too many missionary appeals are based on the picture of a frustrated God. It is easy to stir up pity for the heathen and for the God who has tried so hard and so long to save them and has failed for lack of help. I fear thousands of young people have entered Christian service with no higher motive than to help deliver God from the embarrassing situation his love has gotten him into and his limited abilities seem unable to get him out of. That is not the God we serve. I want you to know that the God we serve tonight is on a mission. Let me get this turned on. I want you to memorize this. I hope by the end of this uh, um, conference you memorize this statement. And you might need to unplug that, that uh, USB and then put it back in so that I can advance these. Still not working. This is going to be fun. Go ahead and jump it to the next slide while we're, while we're hoping this connects. <clears throat> but by the time we get to the end of this conference, I hope you have this memorized. Okay, it is working now. Good. That's wonderful. God is on a mission to reveal His glory and extend His grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. Part of missions conference is to talk about what we need to be doing in obedience to the Great Commission. We need to be sending out missionaries. We need to be giving But I want to focus for tonight and the next two nights on what God is doing in this world. God is on a mission. And that mission is to reveal His glory and extend His grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. And I hope by the time we finish this conference, you see that the mission of God is something worth giving to. And it's something worth being part of. Instead of being pleaded with and entreated to get involved in the mission, get, get involved in missions, and really when we say the word missions, we're talking in the plural sense, we're talking about our involvement in the mission. But God is on a singular mission, and that's what you're looking at on the screen right there this evening. Now, if you ask me to summarize the whole Bible, that's my summary. And I believe that is what God has been doing all throughout history. I believe everything in the Bible is somehow related to the mission of God. The end of the book, the very last book of the Bible, is called the book of Revelation. And it reveals end-time events to us, doesn't it? It reveals God to us. But we all believe this. The entire Bible is the revelation of God, isn't it? And so from the very beginning of the book, God begins to reveal himself to us. And he begins the process of extending his grace to humanity. And I want us to see that tonight as we walk through the scripture. Now, if you believe what I'm saying right here, if you believe that everything in the Bible is somehow related to the mission, if you believe that God is on a mission to reveal his glory and extend his grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue, then this mission must become the lens through which we view all of scripture. When you grew up in Sunday school, how many of you grew up in church and you grew up in Sunday school, attending Sunday school most all of your life? You probably came to Sunday school one day or one Sunday and and the teacher taught a lesson on Noah and the ark. And you came on another day and it was about Samson and Delilah. And you came on another day and it was about Adam and Eve. And you came on another day and it was about Joshua and the walls of Jericho. And you came on another day and it was about, about Jesus healing the lepers and, and if you're not careful and if you don't put this together, you begin to believe that the Bible 
is just a series of random stories either to entertain us or a series of, of, of like Aesop's fables that you can get some good lessons for life if you learn this Bible story. But the whole Bible is focused on the mission of God. And so when we open the Bible, we read about a Bible character and we read things about his life. We need to understand God used that individual to further his mission of revealing himself and extending his grace across this world. When you read about an event, we have to understand that event outlined for us in the word of God is about the revelation of God's glory and the extension of God's grace to all the people of this world. So it has to become the lens through which we view the Bible. Number two, it has to become the lens through which we view our lives. If God is on a mission and that's his primary purpose and he's all about revealing his glory and he's all about this world learning who he is and about the grace that he offers through the substitutionary atonement of his dear son, then my life must be viewed through that mission because that's what's important to God. There is nothing I have going on in my life that is more important than the mission of God to reveal his glory and extend his grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. So it has to be the lens through which we view the Bible. It has to become the lens through which we view our lives. So the Bible is one story, and the storyline is the mission of God. So what we're going to do tonight for the next few moments is walk through the Bible, and we're going to choose several highlight points, if you will call them that, And we're going to look at the mission of God in each of these places in the Word of God. And we're going to start in Genesis 1-1. We're going to start with creation in Genesis 1-1. And before you get too nervous, we're not going to read the whole book. We're not even going to read the whole first chapter. We're just going to pick and choose some spots along the way that we can see the mission of God in action. And I hope it will stir our hearts tonight. Genesis 1-1. Are you ready? Here's the first one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, have you ever wondered why that's the first verse in the Bible? Well, the simple answer to that is, is because in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? But why didn't God start with John 3.16? I think it'd be wonderful if he started out talking about his great love for us. Or why doesn't the Bible start out with the holiness of God? Because that's, I believe, his dominant characteristic. But it starts out with God as creator. What is God doing with creation? What's the purpose of creation? Well, according to Psalm 19.1, here's what creation does. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. And there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So creation emphatically declares the glory of God, doesn't it? It also reveals to us that God is the Lord and King and creator of all things. And that means we are responsible to him. If, if you wonder where this world came from, go to Genesis 1.1, and God created the world. That distinguishes him from all other gods, doesn't it? When Paul stood at Mars Hill... Please pardon my coughing. It's been a struggle for a while now. When Paul stood at Mars Hill and, and the, the, uh, um, the, the, the hillside was littered with false gods, and there was one more god there they had constructed to the unknown god, 
And Paul began to declare to them, he said, uh, he said, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And the first words out of his mouth as he began that sermon was, The God that made the world and everything that's in it. God is the creator God, and it reveals his glory. There are verses all over the Bible we could talk about or we could quote that show us the same theme. And then look at verses 26 and 27 of Genesis, and we see these words. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. This is God extending his grace. If the act of creation reveals God's glory, then the creation of man extends God's grace. Because let me tell you something about the first act. The first act, uh, God could have enjoyed his creation for the rest of eternity and never put people in it. Do you believe that? It would have been a beautiful world. God could have enjoyed it. He could have reveled in his own glory. But for some reason, this is a key phrase, he wanted people. He wanted a people to whom he could extend his grace. He wanted a people that, would, that he could love and they would love him and that he could fellowship with and they would fellowship with him. He wanted a people that would serve him. And isn't it good news to just stop and think for a minute? God wanted me. God wanted me. Genesis 1.28, the Bible says, God blessed them and, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth because God wanted this earth populated with people. And here's the theme. God wanted His glory reflected and His grace extended through the lives of Adam and Eve. Number one is creation. Number two, we're going to fly through these things. The fall of man. In Genesis chapter 3, without reading specific verses there, you'll know this chapter is about the fall of man, where Adam and Eve <coughs> excuse me, took of the forbidden fruit. And in that first crisis, in that rebellion... <coughs> In that disobedience, God began revealing himself. You say, where is the glory of God revealed in Genesis chapter 3? Well, it's revealed in his justice. Every character trait of God is a revelation of the glory of his being. And in his justice and his judgment upon sin, he showed them, basically, I meant what I said when I told you not to eat of that fruit. So he came and he told them, if you eat of that fruit, you'll die. And they did die. They didn't die physically right away. They did later, but they died spiritually immediately. But here's the important thing. God, became, came, God came to earth when they fell. They fell. They sinned. God came to earth and showed them his grace. He came looking for them, didn't he? He came pursuing them. And he provided a covering for their nakedness. And the proto-evangelium, the very first picture of a sacrificial death in order to atone for sin... Was, was given to us by God right there in Genesis chapter 3. And that was a picture of the coming Messiah that would shed his blood for our sins, the seed of the woman through whom the Redeemer would come. But the point is God sought out his created beings because he wanted to demonstrate to them his desire for redemption and reconciliation. And so we see the mission heart of God evident right here, don't we? We see God revealing his glory by judging their sin but extending his grace by restoring the, rela- the relationship and the fellowship he had with Adam and Eve. And I've often wondered, I don't know if you have, why didn't God just wipe out Adam and Eve and start over? There's only two of them. You know, he did that in Genesis 6, which we'll look at in just a moment. But there's only two. He could have just started over, right? 
<clears throat> Do you know God couldn't destroy Adam and Eve? Because the Bible says when he made man, he breathed into man and he became a living, what? Soul. A soul lives eternally. He couldn't wipe them out. They're going to live eternally somewhere. So God's love and grace became evident because he wanted uh, reconciliation. He wanted relationship restored with them. They were created to propagate his glory and extend his grace. And the mission of God would continue in spite of the sin of Adam and Eve. We get to Genesis chapter 6. And let's talk about Noah and the flood. Genesis 6 verse 5. The Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on, on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. I'm going to let Pastor Henry uh, cover this, this phrase here, it repented the Lord that he had made man. He can preach on that sometime. <laughs> but I do understand the second part of that verse, don't you? It grieved him at his heart. So God saw that man in, in general was moving away from God, this, this people that he created and he wanted to extend his grace to and he wanted his glory reflected through were turning that toward other purposes. They were turning that toward sin. And once again, his justice becomes evident. His, his judgment on sin becomes evident. But look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Again, we find God seeking out a man through whom he can demonstrate his desire for reconciliation and redemption. And so to Noah, after he came out of the ark, he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So listen, God is on a mission to reveal his glory and extend his grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. And not the sin of Adam and Eve will stop that. And not even the sin of the entire world in general is going to stop God from fulfilling his mission. Are you still with me? Genesis chapter 11. Would you go there, please? See, we're moving right along. <clears throat> Genesis 11 begins to give us the account of the Tower of Babel. And let me show you the great sin of the Tower of Babel. It's found in verse 4. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And, and here's the phrase right here. Here's the great sin. And let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. They needed to know that it was not about their name that should be glorified. It's about the name of God that should be glorified. Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. If they are allowed to accomplish this, they will turn away from me forever. And God cannot allow that to happen because these are his people. Now, in verse 7, it says, Go to, let us, down, uh, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So, so God confounded their languages. They, they were trying to communicate. They, they kept trying to build this tower. They couldn't talk to each other. So the Bible says that they scattered upon the face of the whole earth. That is the glory of God revealed. What happens after that? It doesn't look very missional, does it? You've turned against me and I'm scattering you all over, this, all over this globe. But look at chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. 
and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will make thee, and I will make, uh, and I will bless thee rather, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And here's the key phrase: and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. You know what God said to Abraham? I just scattered these people all over the earth, and now through you, I'm going to demonstrate my desire for reconciliation and redemption. And every family I just scattered is going to come back into my family and be part of my part of, and be restored in relationship to me. Isn't that powerful, right there? I don't. I, I scattered them, but I I'm not done with them. I want them back. And so through Abraham, he he created a nation that would reach out to the whole world, and Israel would become that nation. And we'll get to that in a little while. Let's talk about the Exodus. Go with me, please, to Exodus chapter 9. And you look, at this, um, <clears throat> you look at this event of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and maybe it doesn't look very missional either. And we're going to say, where's the glory of God in this event, and where is the grace of God in this event? I could say we see God's glory in the fact that every triumph by one of the plagues, the ten plagues, every one of them was a triumph over a false god of, of Egypt. God's glory is clearly revealed in delivering his people from Egypt. But what was the purpose of this whole thing? What was the purpose of bringing Israel out of Egypt? Look at Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. And here Moses has been told to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And here's what he is to say to Pharaoh. Exodus 9, verse 13. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people. Here it is right here. That thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. You know why God's going to work here? So they will all know who he is. Look at verse 16. And in very deed, <coughs> still Moses talking to Pharaoh, and in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Do you know that God wanted the world talking about him? So he went to Exodus and, and put the ten plagues upon the, uh, Pharaoh and his people, so he had let Israel go, and the whole world would be talking about what a miraculous deliverance the children of Israel got from their God. The rest of the Bible, the Exodus, is used as a symbol of the mighty power of God. And here Moses tells Pharaoh, God is going to do this so his name will be declared throughout all the earth. This was all about making a name for God among every kindred, tribe, and tongue. When I was pastoring, I wanted to be like W.A. Criswell. Pastor, you know who that is, right? W.A. Criswell preached through the whole Bible, starting in Genesis, and went all the way to Revelation. He preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. He just picked up wherever he left off in the last service, and it took him 18 years. Now, I didn't want to do it exactly like that, but I decided I wanted to go through the whole Bible. When I finished my pastoral ministry, I wanted to be able to say I preached through the whole Bible. So in my adult Sunday school class, I started in Genesis 1. And when I resigned my church 16 years later, I was in the book of Ruth. <clears throat> I never made it through the whole Bible. 
But as I went through Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy particularly, I began to notice that the children of Israel did one particular thing over and over and over and over. Can anybody tell me what they did? They complained. They complained, didn't they? Over and over. They complained because they had no water. They complained because the water was bitter. They complained because they had no food. Then they complained because they were tired of the manna God was providing. Then they complained because they had no meat. Then they complained because there was too much meat. And, and they just complained about everything. And I found it very challenging to speak on the subject of discontentment and complaining and griping and mumbling because I just did it two weeks ago when you walk through those passages. And I kept asking myself, why do these people complain so much? I ask myself that sometimes. Why do I complain so much, right? Here's the answer I came up with. Israel complained because they thought God delivered them to make their lives comfortable. They didn't realize God was trying to make a name for himself. God was trying to build his reputation. God was trying to to, to show his glory all over the earth. And he was using their lives to do it. And we complain for the same reason, because we're uncomfortable with something. We're, we're out of our, our comfort zone. We get, we get tired of different things, and, and, and God's trying to do something. Do you know that God is always at work in my life trying to glorify himself and trying to build his reputation in this world and to use me as a reflection of his glory and extension of his grace to the people around me? If you had looked over the sand dunes down on the camp of Israel, you would have noticed by day a pillar of cloud and by night a pillar of fire. And if you had someone had asked you, who is that and what is that? The answer would be, that's the people of Israel and that's their God. He dwells among them. That's a very special people and a very special God. He was trying to make a name for himself. You remember when the two spies, I'm sorry, the spies went into Jericho? Uh, and they ended up at the house of, at, of Rahab, the harlot. You know what she said to them? Oh, we've heard about your God. We've heard about your God. We, we've, we heard how he parted the Red Sea, and she went through it. And then she said, is there any way me and my family can be saved? Because God's trying to make a name for himself. In Exodus chapter 20, we won't read these verses, but they begin with, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Another reference to that mighty act. In the law, I believe we have God revealing himself because uh, thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Uh, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to any graven image. No, don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. This is all revealing the holiness and and the glory of God, isn't it? But what's the purpose of the law? Somebody's going to say, well, the law was given just because God wanted to make a bunch of rules that we have to live by. But according to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, here's what God said about the law through Moses. He said, this is the law. Speaking of the law, said, this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. God didn't give us the law to limit our lives. He gave us the law so we would reflect his glory. And so we would extend his grace. People look at us and say, you serve a God and you are so devoted to him. I can tell by the way you live, who is the God you serve? Tell me about him. The unbelief at Kadesh Barnea. Go with me please to Numbers 
chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, very quickly. I was told I have to finish this sermon by 10 o'clock. In Numbers chapter 13, at the end of the chapter, we have the spies returning from Israel. Uh, from, sorry, from the land of, yes, the land of Canaan. And, and they had gone to spy out the land and they came back with a, a, an evil report, the Bible calls it, right? Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Sing it with me, ready? Ten were bad and two, let's don't sing it, let's don't. Ten were bad and two were good. So the ten evil spies gave their report. And in the first few verses of Numbers chapter 14, <coughs> we'll read some verses here in a moment. But the people wept all night. They said, we should just go back to Egypt. Isn't that also astounding? Not only the complaining, but, but constantly saying, let's go back where we used to be making bricks. They wanted to appoint another captain. They wanted to stone Moses and Aaron. They hated the faith report of Joshua and Caleb. And so God, in his frustration, says to Moses in verse 11, would you find verse 11 of Numbers 14? And the Lord said unto Moses, can you hear the frustration here? How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with a pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. Now, here's what God is saying. I'm tired of their disobedience. I can't handle these people anymore. I'm going to eliminate them, Moses, and I'll start all over with you. Moses begins to pray, and he appeals to God on a very uh, exclusive, bold, audacious basis. Moses doesn't say, please don't destroy these people. I love these people. These are my brothers. These are my, these are my tribe. Uh, th- th- these are part of my tribe. Don't kill these people. Here's how Moses appealed to God. Look at verse 13. And Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it. Wow. Do you know why God brought them out? Because he's trying to make a name for himself. Look at it. Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them. And then it gets even more bold, verse 14, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For, thou, uh, for they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. Wow, that's a very bold prayer, isn't it? God, if you destroy these people, all you've done to make a name for yourself is going to be ruined. And God responds to that in an amazing way. Uh, Look at verse 19. Moses' final question or final plea is, Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And the Lord said, here's the answer, I have pardoned according to thy word. Okay, okay, I know. I don't want to make my name, uh, give my name a bad reputation. But verse 21 But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. They're not going to stop me. They're not going to stop my purpose. They're not going to stop my mission. 
to reveal my glory and extend my grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. Number eight, the conquest of Canaan. I didn't click on that one, but the conquest of Canaan. If you look through this, it looks like genocide. It looks like the children of Israel just commanded to come in and kill all the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the, the, all the other ites. But it's God revealing himself in his power over the idolatrous lands that they were to displace. Remember when they crossed the Jordan River and they put 12 stones in the middle of the river and they put 12 stones up by Gilgal? And the Bible says in Joshua chapter 4, when your children shall ask in time to come, what mean these stones? Here's the answer in Joshua 23 verse 7. That ye come not among these nations. No, I'm sorry, that's, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of Joshua 4 verse 24 <clears throat> where the children would ask what mean these stones. And in Joshua 4 verse 24 it says that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that it is mighty that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. We've got to move on. But God wanted His grace, His glory reflected, and His grace extended by planting His people in the land of promise. Let's talk about the temple. Uh, When Solomon dedicated the temple, he said this in his prayer of dedication, that all the people of the earth may know thy name. Verse 60 of 1 Kings chapter 8 He said that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, when Solomon is praying that dedicatory prayer, the parallel passage, he refers to the strangers that will come into this temple. And he said, when they come into this temple and pray, would you hear their prayer that all the people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee as thy people, as doth thy people Israel? God wanted His glory reflected and His grace extended through His presence among His people and through their worship of Him. How about 1 Samuel 17 with David and Goliath? David stood before Goliath and said, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. How about the Psalms? We could walk through the Psalms quoting passage after passage after passage and I challenge you, If you read through the Psalms, note how many places it says, all the nations, all the peoples, let all the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. All the way through, the psalmists, David, Asaph, other psalm psalm writers, they all understood the mission of God was for all the nations and all the peoples. We get to the prophets, and every time Israel rebelled, God would send prophets to call them back. And I think one of the most succinct passages on that is in Ezekiel chapter 20 when God recounts the history of Israel and He talked about all the times they went astray from Him. And then He uses this phrase multiple times in Ezekiel 20. He said, I wrought among you for my name's sake that it should not be polluted among the heathen in whose land ye dwell. God worked among them for His own name's sake. Um, how, about, how about Malachi 1.11, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name, uh, my name, God said, shall be great among the Gentiles. How about Habakkuk 2.14, this is a great verse, for the earth shall be filled with the glory, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a metaphor we just kind of pass over, as the waters cover the sea, what does that mean? Well, water seeks its own level. So if you're at the beach on the Pacific Ocean or the Indian Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean or the Arctic Ocean, 
you're all at the same level, right? That's where we measure altitude from. And God says in that verse, someday the knowledge of my glory will fill the earth all at the same level as the waters cover the sea. Is God known all over this world right now? No, He is not. Do you desire that God would be known all over this world? Do you know that God is on a mission to reveal Himself all over this world to every kindred, tribe, and tongue? We have to go to the New Testament and just a couple of things I'll point out. But Jesus is the perfect revelation of the glory of God, isn't He? John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, 1.14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His what? Jesus came to reveal the glory of His Father. And He came to extend the grace of His Father by dying for us on the cross so that we could be restored to fellowship with God. All the way through the book of Acts, we see God at work. Do you know the book of Acts? Listen to this. I'm phrasing this like this very much on purpose. In the book of Acts is where God gave the church to His mission. Listen, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has the church. God is on a mission that started at the beginning of the book and goes all the way to the end of time. And the church was established as the unfolding fulfillment of the mission of God and the vehicle ordained to carry out the glory of God in this world, to propagate the glory of God in this world, and to extend the grace of God to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. That's what Pentecost was all about. The epistles, Paul said in Romans 1.5, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. You can't read the Bible without noting these phrases, all nations, for the glory of His name, for the sake of His name. And then we get to the book of Revelation. In chapter 5.9, chapter 7.9, we see some references to it in chapter 14 and 15, but we see a missionary God who has called all the kindreds and tribes and tongues of the people of the world to himself. And we're all gathered at the throne of God. From the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, God has been revealing himself and drawing people to himself. Revealing his glory and extending his grace and calling people from every kindred, tribe, and tongue. And someday in the book of Revelation, it tells us we're going to stand at the throne with those people that Jesus has redeemed from every. Do you know what I believe that means? I believe it means from every. Kindred, tribe, and tongue. It won't be a chorus in English. It'll be a multilingual chorus. Chorus Over 7,100 languages, over 7,300 languages spoken in the world today. And there are going to be people from every one of those languages singing the praises of our God. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to stand there with those people and we're going to realize, and I hope it's not for the first time, we're going to realize this is what the purpose of God and His world was all along. It wasn't about me making a name for myself. It wasn't about me accumulating worldly possessions. It wasn't about me enjoying my good life. It was about the glory of God and the grace of God reaching every kindred, tribe, and tongue on the face of this earth. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand at that throne someday and have to say, I'm afraid I gave my life to lesser causes. 
I'm afraid I invested myself in things that weren't this important. One man said, I have no idea who said it. I've heard it quoted all over the place. But my greatest fear, this guy said, is my greatest fear is that I'll live my life for things that are not important to God. And I'm here tonight to start out this conference by telling you what's important to God. His glory known and His grace extended to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. And I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? If, if Jesus came back tonight, I'd be happy about it, wouldn't you? In the, throughout the Bible, we see the mission of God revealed from the beginning to the end. And in the revelation, we see the mission of God fulfilled. And I guess the closing question has to be, will you join the mission of God? Would you bow your heads with me, please? In response to what you've heard tonight, here's a simple prayer I want to challenge you to pray. Just two phrases, three phrases. Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want, I want to be part of your mission. I want to be on mission with you. Wherever you want me and whatever you want to do through me and with me, I want to be on mission with you. Would you have the boldness tonight to pray such a prayer? I give myself to your mission. Help me to make it the priority of my life because it is the priority of your heart. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, as we have Walk through the scripture tonight. I pray that sufficiently you have communicated to us your heart for this great mission. Help us to see your power. Help us to see your glory being revealed. Lord, even in the triumphs and trials of our own life, help us to see that you're trying to make a name for yourself and you want to be seen through us. Would you help us to yield ourselves to you? In Jesus' name we pray.